This is Robert Capuccio. Welcome to Transformation Unplugged, where we challenge conventional thinking and explore authentic strategies and insights around personal transformation. Our commitment to you is to connect you with some of the world's leading experts in health, fitness, and behavior change, separating fact from fallacy. To be unplugged means deciding to be unrestrained by the beliefs, expectation, and assumption of others. To make the declaration that only you can determine for yourself what the best version of you looks like based on what you authentically want and value most. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome to Transformation Unplugged. Our guest today is such an absolute powerhouse in the field of neuroscience and clinical psychology. His bio kind of reads a little bit like a drinking game, but he's a fellow of the Australian Psychological Societies of Clinical Neuropsychology and Clinical Psychology. He is a member of the Royal Charter of Psychologists in the United Kingdom, an associate fellow of the British Psychological Society, a member of the British Psychological Society's Division of Neuropsychology, and faculty of pediatric neuropsychology, and a member of the American Psychological Association. He has authored two books, Saving Your Life One Day at a Time, and Client-Centered Coaching, A Trainer and Coach's Guide to Motivating Clients, which is now the standard textbook for the Personal Training Academy Global out of the United States. He has worked with organizations such as IBM, Intel, Sheridan, Walgreens, Cisco, Google, Johnson & Johnson, and many others. We know you're gonna get a ton out of this guy, so strap your seatbelts on and enjoy it. One of the things that me and you have had extensive conversations on, and I think it's critically important and becoming more and more critical every day, seemingly, is around attribution errors. You know, talk to us a little bit about what that means and why that's important, please. Thanks, Bobby. So what we're looking at with attribution errors is a difference a marked difference psychologically between the way we see our own actions and we see other people's actions. And that means we make attributions which suggest that when I do something, it's because of situation and circumstances when you do something, the same thing. It's because you lack some characteristic, you have a weaker personality or you do things badly or you're a psychopath or narcissist. So. <laughs> You know, the impact for trainers and coaches around the world is we don't take responsibility for other people's behavior. We don't see ourselves as the context in which people may be carrying out uh, a bad behavior or failing to meet their goals. So we just don't take responsibility. It's their personality. But if we were in the same situation, we would say, hey, this is a bad context and that's why I'm failing. Yeah, right. You ate that chocolate cake over the chicken salad because you're weak. You lack discipline. You don't keep your commitments. But I'm committed to being on time, which is kind of an interesting subject. And <laughs> it's like, well, well, it wasn't my fault. Like, did you not see the traffic? Well, what do you mean? Like traffic? Like during rush hour in Sydney? Who would have thought? So 
What what are the consequences of this? Because I, I'd like to assume that a lot of people who are operating off of an attribution error deep down inside have good intentions. They they think that they're holding the space for people where you know I don't accept excuses. You know, I need you to be accountable to yourself. And it's kind of like this tough love mentality. But what are the, some of the consequences to someone who might be on the receiving end of that? Well, the consequences uh, are failure. The consequences are failure to deliver a service that the other person is paying for. It's failure to ethically meet your obligation not to do any harm. It's a failure to take responsibility for the situation that you're being paid to take responsibility for. And at the end of the day, it's bad business. You know, we know people in our circle who've adopted, you know, responsibility and who've understood these things and they've doubled their business in a year. They've doubled their practice. They've doubled their money, their income well, more than doubled because they got away from their expenses. It's really bad business to make the assumption that if, if you fail with the client, that it's their fault. If you do take responsibility, even if it is their fault, then at least you own the problem and you own the solution. So the consequence is you don't own the solution. You are powerless as a helper to actually help the other person. Mm. You know, a lot of people listening to this is a kind of a mixed bag. So we have everyone from coaches, fitness professionals, and people who are just searching. You know, I don't work within this industry, but... I'm searching to see, you know, where I can go to improve myself in some way. And I think as I'm listening to this, one question that I would have, regardless of which side of the fence I sit on, well, if attribution errors are not always accurate, and if they're sometimes very damaging, what are one or two things that more accurately predict why we do the things that we do? Sure. So if you think about working with anybody, um, you want to kind of enter some kind of shared value system. You want to make sure that your goals are aligned, that the things that are important to you are aligned. And um, recently, you know, one of our colleagues at, at uh, Team Exos in, in Arizona presented to about 120, 200 of our Uber coaches. And what we decided to do is say, look, if we talk about motivation, and motivating clients to behavior change. We have to think of intrinsic motivators and let's go one step deeper. What's behind an intrinsic motivator? What is intrinsically motivating for your client, which you want to align with so that you're not at, you know, at odds caused by attribution errors and other errors. And um, what would that be? What's the deeper dive? And it turns out obviously that behind intrinsic motivators are a value system. What we hold to be our cherished values. What do we hold to be absolutely important? And if that is not aligned with a client, if for instance, as a trainer, you, your alignment is for your own benefit and for your own expertise to be demonstrated. And for the client, it's to overcome a whole lot of adversity. These are not aligned values and then nothing happens. Nothing good happens. So when we presented that to the Uber coaches, we came up with an interesting definition, Bobby, and this is, I think, what answers your question. If we look at what is a performance mindset, it turns out to be psychological flexibility, the ability to cope with change and challenge and take it in your stride, and that is based on values. 
that is based on not avoiding bad experiences. That is based on um, directing everything you do according to some shared negotiated value system. And so we could define performance mindset, a successful outcome, a psychological flexibility, which is dependent on a few things. And the one that comes up is values. The one that comes up is avoiding experiences. And the third one is getting past your own image of yourself with the help of a coach. Wow. It's like a value driven form of resilience. Would this scenario make sense? John, you know, says, I got to go to the gym. Not because he's in love with the gym. As a matter of fact, you know, um, a wise person once told me that nothing the client loves or nothing the individual loves necessarily lives within the four walls of the gym. But he really loves his family and he works super hard to provide for them. But lately, he's not present. He's not present when he's out on a business trip. And then when he comes home, he's always thinking about work. Now, his kids are getting older by the day. And these moments are slipping through his hands. And he's so tired of coming home every night and them requesting for him to to read them a story. And he has to say, oh, daddy's so exhausted. Tomorrow, tomorrow, tomorrow. So he wonders when he's going to wake up tomorrow and the kids are going to be grown. So he goes to a gym. But when he's on his way to the gym, there's a lot of traffic, more than necessary, more than usual. And so he gets into the gym a little bit late, goes and changes, and man, he feels bad about himself in the locker room. He looks around, he has all these fit people, and here he is, and he's like stuffed into his gym kit. And then he goes out to meet with the trainer, who's absolutely shredded, perfect, full head of hair, tattoos, kind of looks like those guys that John pretends not to notice his wife looking at in those magazines. So he hates this kid. And this kid takes him through, I do say kid, this kid, about 19 years old, takes him through all of these exercises, tells him a bunch of things he doesn't understand, other things he's not going to remember. He goes back into the locker room after being confused and deflated on, on this first initial appointment. By the time he showers, gets changed back into to a suit, he goes home, the lights are off. So the one thing that drove his participation for the gym, spending more quality time with his kids, is threatened by the simple act of the gym. Does that, does that qualify as the type of value conflict that a lot of people are up against? Absolutely. And, and what you just described is one of the tasks which a coach or a trainer has to manage, which is to get the person outside of their head. Because you see how much problem happened because the guy was thinking too much and overthinking, dealing with his own image, avoiding experiences. And even when he didn't, he couldn't get out of his head. We have to look at these attribution errors and all of these problems that we have with clients who don't stay with us as a problem to be solved in the real world. You know, the whole idea that we are all psychologists and we're all going to get into people's head. The third wave of of psychology, the new wave of the act of coaching is saying that's completely impossible to do. Get the client out of their head, deal with their image of themselves, help them not avoid experiences that are difficult, make these experiences fun and rewarding. And most importantly, before you start working with a client in your shredded, you know, (laughs) blow dried uh, on the mobile phone, whatever typical stereotype we have of Mm -hmm. a bad trainer, before you do that, can you work with the client to see your values and their values 
are aligned and you're going to solve problems in the real world because what you've described in this client, these are problems of being in their head too much and not solving problems in the real world. Mm -hmm. When the client sets out to solve the problem in the real world, he collides with the trainer and gets brain damage or motivation damage from colliding with a bad trainer. Here's a question. This is kind of a tricky one, so I apologize, but how do you discern between the values you really have and the values that you think you should have based on the reference group that you're most frequently exposed to? Sure. Uh, so if you think about it, um, you know, the, we all have a sense of autonomy. We all have a sense of we want to get and do what's important to us, our values. We all want to achieve mastery to get better and better at what we value the most. And these are the elements of motivation. But something else is more important, and that is a sense of relatedness. We seek out like-minded people who support mm -hmm. what we think are our values, and we don't challenge that. And that's kind of bad company. We need to seek out people who are the most difficult clients, who challenge us the most. We need to seek out people that we can debate with who have the opposite idea to us. If you think of what's happening in the United States at the moment politically, we have two uh, avenues of people. We have conservatives who appeal to emotions. We have liberal Democrats who appeal to science and to reason. And human beings are irrational creatures. They're emotional creatures. So what would happen politically, and then you get bipartisan in every single level of society in every relationship, is we tend to seek out people who confirm our own biases, who confirm our own ideas. And that is stagnation. You really want to put yourself in the room with people who don't agree with you, who even hate you, who think you're an idiot. And that's how you sharpen your ideals. That's how you sharpen things. But it's not a logical agreement. It's an emotional interaction. And that's where Republicans get it right and liberal Democrats get it wrong. People make decisions based on how they feel about things. When Newt Gingrich says, hey, uh, facts are what we believe, that's a critical thing. So for any coach, that introspection, that sitting there and challenging your values, finding people who are not related, who do not think like you, is the big challenge to you working out how you really, really feel and how you want to live your life. That's why political debate is so important. So imagine for a trainer to go into an institution or to only seek out training that resonates, that is easy, it's no good. You have to do things because they are hard and challenging, and therefore you find your own motivation. In the early days of PTA Global, uh, which you remember, you, you yep. were a massive asset us. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you were a critical component of it in, in a couple of ways. And one of the things that we really had going for us in the early days is we absolutely disagreed with one another. But there was so much trust and, and such depth of relationship amongst the team that all, all of that disagreement challenged all of our cognitive biases and kept on moving us forward to evolve into what became the company. And I, I think you know, that's true in every arena of life. We do seek out people who agree with us and we avoid people who make us uncomfortable by challenging what we hold sacred or what we are so convinced is true. I mean, the fitness industry 
you know, almost has the same level of that as religion. I mean, you've got the paleos versus the vegans and, you know, they, they fight quite a bit. As a matter of fact, I think if you would leave a paleo alone in a room with a vegan, the paleo might actually eat the vegan because it gets pretty intense <laughs> in those conflicts. <laughs> but, but you have two groups of people that believe absolutely that they are right and they self-select evidence that they're right and assume that the other person is either somehow immoral trying to get away with something or so intellectually broken they cannot see the absolute truth of what i subscribe to and it makes me wonder you know maybe the only viable answers belong with the people who are really crazy the moderates who can see things from both perspectives and start to draw conclusions that are sustainable for them as individuals you know, I, I don't know. One, one question I do have is what, what is a, you know, a value? You talked about something being sacred. You know, a lot of times people, when you ask them what their values are, I think they run off of list of what they think their value should be. You know, I value my work. I value family. And I'm not suggesting people don't. But is there anything that we mistake for a value? But in reality, it's, it's not, and it doesn't drive our decisions. Bobby, the big, the big mistake we make is to confuse a goal with a value. A goal is an end state of your values that have led to your actions that lead to your goal. When I ask people to tell me what their values are, they say family and work and whatever. Mm -hmm. That's not a value. That's a goal. <laughs> okay. Um, being true to yourself is a value system. Um, and what you describe with, with, uh, you know, with, with the conflict between ideas is experiential avoidance. And if you think about, okay, I'm a coach and I want to get better and better. Number one, don't avoid experiences that are difficult. And a difficult experience is having your values challenged. Watch out for your own image. In order to succeed, you have to uh, get past your own image, which is going to create anxiety, which is going to create experiential avoidance. And finally, every decision you make should be as a result of a deep introspection to your own values. Mm -hmm. uh, now, that introspection doesn't mean rigidity. That introspection and experiential avoidance means I'm prepared to go into the life of a vegan or a paleo or a Democrat or a Republican or a liberal or conservative and see what their worldview looks like. It's the willingness. It is the openness. And, and, and willingness is, is the opposite of experiential avoidance. The willingness to be uncomfortable with what I'm doing to see if it meets my values or not. Hmm. In, there's, there's three lines of questions. I mean, there's more than that. But there are three questions that were particularly useful that we used with thousands of trainers and organization. And I originally got the insight to use these three questions um, in this exact order. By taking a look at, you, you, you remember this story, perhaps, where you were writing in client-centered training, a story about a guy who was leaving the gym, right? And yeah. you know, on his exit interview, you wanted to know, well, why are you leaving? And, and he's like, my trainer just keeps banging on about weight loss. And you're like, well, you've successfully lost weight. And he said, yeah, but that's not important to me. And then you went to the trainer and you said, well, why did you focus so much on weight loss? And the trainer said, because he told me that what he wanted was weight loss. Mm, okay, well, fair enough. <laughs> 
But digging a little bit deeper, what he wanted was weight loss, to have a little bit more energy, and to stop snoring. Do you remember this particular story? Yeah, absolutely. In other words, the, the end goal was not the value system. The question is, why not snore? Because his wife was sleeping in a different room. The issue, why lose weight? Because that would help him stop snoring, but he would also look better in clothes and be more attractive to his wife, who he was concerned was having an affair. He was concerned she was involved with some people at work and spending more time at work. He wasn't fun. He was overweight. He couldn't join her in the things that were, those were the values. He was preserving his marriage, not losing weight. And every time the guy said, but you've lost weight, everything's okay. It wasn't because he wasn't feeling good yet. So mm. we weren't staying with him until the last moment. Uh, the, the, the trainer he joined said, well, you can't outrun a bad diet and you can't slim yourself down into a good marriage. And let's start working on your mindset. And, and would spend 15 minutes talking to him about the training before he trained. He wanted him to leave the gym happier. The new trainer said, the goal is to be happy. Your value system is happiness, not weight loss. So let's get you happy. And that's really important. The goal was weight loss, but the reasons, the deep dives, the intrinsic motivators were a whole lot of relationships, self-esteem, and other issues that were not being brought into the training room. So if, if I'm not working with a trainer, because that, that's brilliant, you know, beyond the goal, what's the, what's the driver of that? What's the value that this goal upholds, or, or what's the value that becomes threatened if I don't achieve this? And what's the experience along the way in getting there? You know, like in what way is, it, is this rewarding, not six months from now, but right now in the present? What are a couple of questions someone could ask themselves to start to unpack and discover the answers to those questions about what is it that's truly driving this goal? Sure. So if you say to a person, what goals would you like to achieve? This is your, your first interview. And sometimes before I start working with someone, we might work for six weeks on that, on just on that. Um, they can give you the goals very easily. I want to do this. I want to do that. I want to have a good family. I want to have a lot of money and whatever. But everybody comes to that in a different way. Everybody has a goal that they want, but the way they got there, their thinking of how that became important to them is the critical aspect, not the goal. So if you ask a person continuously, what's behind that? What's the most important thing to you now, which you want to live in the future? What behaviors do you want to change now to get a distant, favorable outcome? Because think of it, everything you do in behavioral change involves sacrifice. Sacrifices where you have failed many times, and a lot of the clients we see will have failed. Sacrifices you make appear to be too much of a sacrifice, too much of a price to pay for a distant, you know, think about grit. Grit is about not getting an immediate reward. It's about a distant reward. And if you want to maintain your motivation, you've got to be intrinsically motivated, which is, hey, I, my extrinsic motivator is to be rewarded for losing weight. My intrinsic motivator is to have my wife enjoy me more. Mm. Behind the intrinsic motivators are value systems. Why is it critical to you to have your marriage work? Because my dad was married three times and divorced three times. Because my dad died alone. Because my wife is my best friend. Because without my wife, I don't exist. Without my wife, I have to answer to my children. What's behind that? 
So that deeper dive is not psychological, it is practical. It is not being a psychologist and working with the value systems. It's getting the person out of their head to say, if these are your goals and your values, how do I as a trainer solve that problem in the real world? What do we do together which heads for that goal so that the sacrifice is shared and the sacrifice is broken down into small movable parts. It's getting to know someone at a deeper level so you can help them solve problems that they haven't solved. But I can't stress more enough, it's about getting past their image. It's about getting them outside of their heads. It's about solving the problem through the practical things that happen in the gym. You, you know, when you say that, it, it leads me to a suspicion that a lot of people, again, through our own attribution errors, that we assume lack things like grit yeah. or, or they lack strength of character, you know, whatever that means for the person saying that. What they really lack might just be a matter of alignment. So it's not about getting people to toughen up. It's about getting people to be more aligned. Sure. And when you're aligned, when you're aligned, Bobby, there's that sense of relatedness. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because I was one of those trainers back when I was like 19 and 20. And, and, and I was doing that as a facade. I came from a really rough childhood. I mean, I mean some, some gory, extreme stuff. And once I got into a rhythm where my identity was, I'm a manager, I'm a, I have a career, you know, I help people, I became very rigid because I thought if I broke out of that or if I put it in first gear for a second, I would lose the whole plot. So I was one of these people telling my clients things like, well, you know, you're just going to either have to elevate the level of your commitment and work ethic, or you're going to have to lower the ambition of your goals. So I was that guy. And then I started to notice, you know, a lot of the people who I was training came from nothing and quite a few of them owned multiple businesses. So these people were millionaires. They were dedicated family men, family women. And I was like, how much lack of work ethic, motivation, what's the level of laziness that would be required for these people to be so successful? I was like, wait a minute, maybe, maybe my assumptions about people are absolutely inaccurate. But then I had to ask the question, why the incongruence? You know, and it, it led me down this path you know, to, to people like yourself many, many years ago. Sure. So, <clears throat> a lot of things you said they were really important because we make assumptions about personality as this rigid and fixed thing. But if we look at ourselves in context, we are different people in different contexts, something we call contextual polymorphism. That at different places and different times, we are different people. That's how very nice people end up doing some very bad things. And Looking at context is so important. These are not personality traits. If a person in your care is failing, perhaps you've created the context in which they fail. And that's the context in which you as a coach or trainer believe that you're the expert in that room. And, and your insight was amazing that you looked at people and thought, these people have succeeded and come from nothing. Why are they failing in the gym? It's because we've created a context in which they're not the experts in themselves. We are. The other issue is that what science knows and what we do is often very different. We believe that if you 
educate a person or convince them what they're doing is wrong or web some inspired speech around their heads and, you know, win one for the GIP, a kind of great motivational insight that we're going to change them. And the idea that we have that agency to change them is a huge error. We don't. What we want to do is create a warm relationship, a related relationship, a context in which they feel so free to investigate their limits, so confident because the, the, the context is a warm and nurturing parenting one, that they will encounter their own resolve to change, which means they will find sacrifice easy. They will not avoid painful, difficult experiences. They will challenge their own image. They will solve problems. They will have psychological flexibility. They will develop a performance mindset. But that is because we created the garden in which they can grow their vegetables. And what would be the principles that you know, a coach would absolutely need to embrace in order to create that type of environment where we can cultivate that level of relationship with somebody? Sure. The, the first element is that humble willingness to uh, facilitate the client, that humble willingness to pass over the power relationship to the client and say, well, I'm giving you permission to take control. I could take it back but I'm giving you permission to be the expert in yourself, to tell me how you succeed and fail, to really feel comfortable to show me the worst side of you because I'm gonna do two things with a client. I'm gonna ask them to accept that bad things come and go, and I'm asking them to commit themselves to their own value system. And I will align myself with that value system, even if it goes against many principles that I have. I will offer them expertise, but I will do it very humbly and with their permission. And they will often, if they feel good about acceptance and committing to their values, they will often invite me to be the expert, in which case I can tell them what to do. But I need the invitation. I need them to say to me, I like this. I didn't like that. I have this problem. Help me solve it. But we cannot take power away from the client. If we do, they will leave us. If we do, they will not succeed because it is the whole imbalance of their life being replicated in the gym. One of the quotes from you that I am most fond of, I think because of the deep level of resonance and my affinity and affection for Joseph Campbell, is that you're not the sage on the stage. Yep. You're the guide by the side. And you, know, you, you think about probably one of the best multimedia storytelling um, vehicles ever is film. I mean, yeah. I, I don't care how old you are. Everybody you know, can relate to Star Wars, either the original films that were really, really good or the newer ones that are kind of mediocre. But that's not the point. Anyway, <laughs> so if you look at that, you look at Luke Skywalker. And Luke Skywalker is without a doubt the hero in that film. But it's like, was he the most important character in that film? You know, would we have had a film if all we had was the hero and Vader, the villain? And you got to ask, well, who, who was the person who moved the narrative forward? And it was Obi-Wan Kenobi. It was the guide. Like, he didn't, he didn't hop into an X-Wing fighter and go do a single thing himself, um, although he did fight Vader to the death. So kind of got to give him credit for that. 
But his job basically was to lead Luke through a series of discoveries, helping him become the person he needed to be to accomplish the task before. And I'm thinking, wow, you know, not to be like really geeky, but to me, that seems like the difference between a coach and, and someone who's just an instructor. What would you tell people listening to this right now to look for when selecting a coach? Bobby, there's, there's a wonderful concept called chain diffusion. This is where we model ourselves on someone who is modeling themselves on someone like an Obi-Wan Kenobi. Um, in October 2017, myself and, and two other people launched an app called BA Looper, L-O-O-P-E-R, BA Looper. And um, all it was designed to do was to allow people to model vulnerability to five of their chosen friends, five trusted people, could be their primary care physician could be their mother, but they could choose five people. And by swiping up and down, they could, they could let everybody know every day how they were feeling. And we just launched it quietly. The idea is we were modeling vulnerability. We were saying to people, why don't you just let people know every day how you are and it's okay by simply swiping once to let them know that you are maybe a three or a two or a one, which means you need their help. You need them to reach out. And within four days, we had gone viral in 50 countries and 160 cities. And as far as we know today, we are looking at about 16,000 lives have been saved with a simple app. So all we've done is we've modeled vulnerability and we've allowed people to connect with themselves. No expertise, nothing else. We've just said to people, let's make it easy for you to talk to someone. Let's make it easy for you to model vulnerability and everybody in your group who's feeling crappy would say, well, if he's able to tell people that he's in trouble today, so am I. That, that is perfect. Uh, that, and that's a good place to, to bring this interview to an end. What I wanted to ask is, would you just give us that address one more time, that, pro that product? Sure. So it's a free to air. It's called BA Looper, B-E separate word a separate word l double o p e r roy thanks a lot really appreciate your time every every time i have a conversation with you i learn something new it was great having you on today bobby thanks so much always a pleasure Thanks for listening to this episode of Transformation Unplugged. Our affiliate partner for this episode is Coached. That's C-O-A-C-H-D. If you download their app or go to their website and choose to work with one of their world-class coaches, they're offering all listeners of this podcast a 20% discount. All you got to do is use the code Transformation Unplugged. See you on the next episode.